That smooth Christian jazz you're hearing means you've tuned in to Same Old Song, the lectionary podcast of Mockingbird Ministries. I'm your co-host, Aaron Zimmerman. I'll be joined by Jacob Smith as each week we break down the lectionary readings for the upcoming Sunday to give you something to think about, and if you're a preacher, to give you something to preach about, and no matter who you are, to give you a connection to the never-changing message of God's grace for actual people like you. Unzip that monogrammed faux leather Bible carrying case and cover, pull up a chair, and let's dig in. Well, here we are, Jake, recording episode 273, a.k.a. the last Sunday you'll see people until Christmas Eve. Why is that? Well, it's the Sunday before Thanksgiving, so people are going to hit Thanksgiving they're going to sort of have a, they're going to get diabetes and then they're going to just go into kind of winter hibernation mode. And, uh, you know, it's just a busy time. The shopping, the parties, all of it's going to kick up into high gear. And then, you mm-hmm. know, people will show up on Christmas. I mean, not everybody, obviously. There's some real like people out there among our listeners, I know. But, you know, this is kind of the rhythm of church life, you know. People kind of, you know. Ours, ours we rev up and then everybody leaves on Christmas Eve. Yep. Mm-hmm. Okay. Because so everybody's from somewhere holding, else. You're just holding one little candle. It's us and like a handful of tourists, dudes from like, you know, uh, you know, some some tourists from Holland will probably stumble in. And, um, you know, but anyway, we're uh, Why we're Holland? towards That's the end specific of the year. selection. You get <laughs> a lot of Dutch people. coming towards the end of the liturgical year. They're like, oh, Stuyvesant. Uh, what's that? You know that name. You, all the Dutch people, like why you chose that? I'm thinking yeah, maybe because right. your church is on Stuyvesant Square. It's like, ah, the maybe. Dutch. So, but uh, yeah, I mean, we get always tourists, tons of tourists, because everybody's out of town. And so, um, but we uh, come to this particular uh, passage, and we're looking at, um, so here's the thing, we're coming to the end of the liturgical year. And so, next week is Christ the King Sunday, and then we jump into Advent, and everything kind of revolves around the idea of time here and the end of time. So, our readings take on a little bit of apocalyptic in nature. And so for the next couple of weeks, and so uh, today we're looking at Zephaniah chapter 1, and a very encouraging passage. And then we take a look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 1 through 11, and then uh, Matthew chapter 25, verses 14 through 30. And so, uh, boy, um, this is a, uh, well, these are uh, apocalyptic passages in nature, but I mean, Zephaniah is brutal. And what would you say about it, Aaron, anything? Just, it's super cheery. If you're looking for some verses to put like on a motivational poster, uh, this is this is this is where you want to go. Um, my my favorite uh, verse here in this passage is, um, "Their blood shall be poured out like dust, and their flesh like dung." I mean, that's a memory verse if I've ever heard one. Mm. Um, this is a story about God waking people up from sleepwalking through life and living lives that hurt each other, that um, kind of uh, take advantage of others, oppress others, um, and and God setting things right. This is what judgment looks like when it is when it happens and there's no mercy. Um, this is not God just it's, so the the language it's like the Lord will not do good, nor will he do harm. Um, meaning he's not here to settle scores and be malicious or something and just throw lightning bolts for the sake of it. He's coming to build, to, to bring some sort of justice. Um, 
That's why he says the sound of the day of the Lord is bitter, uh, because there's going to be ruin, devastation, darkness, gloom, um, distress on the people. Uh, this is what judgment looks like. And when God brings judgment, again, hear it in the poetic terms that it's, you know, it's, it's supposed to get your attention. Um, and, uh, and so I think it's an invitation if you can, um, if you've ever tried to get through to someone who has been so wrapped up in their own sin and self-absorption or stuck place in life, and you've sort of tried to, 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 you know, grab them by the shoulders and say like, wake up. That's kind of what this passage is about. The day of the Lord, you know, if you think about um, the passage last week about, you, you know, you think the day of the Lord is going to be a, a good thing that it's going to apply to other people, this justice and judgment of God, all the bad people out there won't apply to me. No, it actually applies to, to everyone, which you, which you see in this passage. And that's, I think this is coming against that very common human idea that um, there's good people in the world and bad people in the world. And if, so if the judgment of God comes to set things right, he'll just judge the bad people. And I'll be fine because I'm really good. I, you know, um, I only drink oat milk. I've really cut down on my dairy usage. Uh, you know, I'm, I give to good organizations. I'm a, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm a nice person. Um, but this says, in the fire of his passion, the whole earth shall be consumed. So this is just a statement about the fact that every human being is a human being. Every human being is and has moments of self-absorption, narcissism, uh, taking advantage of others, overlooking others who are in pain. I mean, we're so good at that. Um, so I think that that's what I would talk about. Like this is we are. This is what judgment looks like when God comes to set the world right. There's not some some bad people out there that deserve punishment. It's it's inside the house. It's our own issue. So that's that's what I'm talking about. There's not really any grace here. This is just judgment. So you have to, you can't just preach on this passage in mi opinion. I think you have to you have to bring in some some Jesus, which obviously we have. So uh, what would you say, Jake? I would say that exactly right. That this is a passage intended to uh, wake you up. And I think that, um, you know, this is kind of, if you will, what uh, um, uh, Luther called the hidden God, if you will. And so, uh, and uh, coming to us in ways that we uh, don't necessarily associate with God. When we think of God, we think of him as like good and friendly and, you know, warm and, you know, um, gracious and living God. Um, you know, we think of him like that. And so, and we don't think of him as the one, you know, uh, coming with uh clouds of darkness and the day of trumpet blasts and battle cries and fortified cities and lofty battlements all come tumbling down. Um, and uh, what's happening here is this is the precipice in the midst of judgment and the judgment of Israel. This is in the midst of real pain. And I think this is a great, powerful reminder that when God calls you, he wants all of you. Uh, he doesn't want just the outside, nor does he simply want the inside. He wants all of you. And, uh, and that God oftentimes, and, and uh, C.S. Lewis makes this point in his book, The Problem of Pain, is that God works in pain oftentimes to uh, bring us to a place of our creatureliness and to a place of our need. And uh, the good news of the gospel is, is that whatever pain you may be going through, whatever judgment you may be feeling in your life, um, well, um, it ultimately um, 
uh, you know, in moments like this, we want to ask, uh, you know, why God? Why Why are you doing this to me? And uh, that's the wrong question. Uh, the right question is, uh, where are you, God? Where are you when this is happening to me? And uh, that is when the Spirit fixates our eyes upon uh, the Son of Man hanging upon a cross who bore the sins of the world for all of us and uh, bore this horrible judgment in order that um, uh, as we approach our death, we might uh, know that uh, death does not have the final say. And as we uh, go to the grave, even at our graves, as our funeral liturgy says, we can make our cry, Alleluia, Alleluia, Alleluia. Yeah. The other thing I would say about this, if, if you read the verses that are omitted, you find out what God is so angry about. Mm-hmm. He says that um, God will cut off every trace of Baal from this place, the names of the idolatrous priests and the, with the pagan priests who worship the host of heaven on the housetops, those who also swear by Milcom. So it's these. It's basically the um, the Jewish people bringing in idolatrous and pagan practices and sort of mixing it all together and saying, yeah, Yahweh, we'll you know we'll do service to him, but we're also going to hedge our bets and and make some alliances with these other deities and. Um, and of course, there's the the oppression of the of the the poor and all that sort of stuff in all these things. So so that's what's going on. Um, it's this, and basically just sort of seeing God as like this transactional thing where if you pay your taxes to God, He'll take care of you, but we'll pay our taxes to the other gods too. We'll but just bribe all the deities and we'll get what we want. And so that's why they have this very nonchalant attitude. It's like no no no, you don't understand. God is uh, there's only one God, and um, you are taking your comfort and your peace and security from your wealth, your position, your power, your silver, and your gold, as it says in verse 18. But just know um, that you rightfully fall under God's wrath because of um, your failure to perceive reality and your embrace of death, essentially, is what that is. Um, life built on superficial material things is an embrace of death. And God is saying, okay, well, that's that's what's going to happen to you. Um, and it's again, it's it's kind of an intervention to get people to wake up, um, who are who are not uh, awake, um, and who are trying to just uh, you know they've seen God as this transactional deity. There's no love. There's no relationship. Um, it's sort of like the spiritual equivalent of like if you were to come home to your spouse and say. Um, uh, I don't really love you, but I'll, I'll, I'll like pay you these things so we can continue our relationship. Um, this transactional sort of nature, and your spouse saying like, "That's not what I want. I want real love," and so I'm getting a divorce. Mm-hmm. And that maybe wakes you up, and you go to counseling. Like that's kind of what's happening here, but in a much bigger graphic, you know, violent language, spiritual sense. So have fun preaching on that one, and then <laughs> we go to um, our next passage as we continue this romp through the book of First Thessalonians, uh, nearing the end here in chapter five. Um, again, Paul still talking about um, the end of the world, like Jake, as you said, get some apocalyptic stuff up in here. So the day of the Lord will come like a kitten in from the rain. Mm-hmm. Nope, like a thief in the night. What would you What would you say about these uh, very similar to Zephaniah, strong, strong language. Yeah, well, I think it's, um, you know, this this particular text would have been great with last week's gospel reading because uh, it reminds us to uh, to, to stay awake. And, uh, and Paul uses the analogy, which is very much the analogy of the world today, you know, I mean, um, uh, you know, Bad things happen in the midst of the darkness, you know what I mean? And, uh, and good things happen in the midst of light. Um, um, but the point here is uh, 
none of that. Uh, the point here is, is that God uh, has destined us not for wrath, but for obtaining salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live with him. Because there's a lot of folks that are still asleep, you know. But uh, that gospel promise that God has not destined us for wrath, but obtaining salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, is the word that has the power to awake, to awaken all of us uh, who are sleeping. And, and really, when Paul is talking about sleeping there, he's talking about um, kind of do-it-yourself religion. You know what I mean? Stuff that is um, invested in you, as opposed to... Um, the uh, uh, Christ do it for you religion. And so uh, uh, this is the thing to encourage each other with. It's not like, hey man, be sober. Hey man, you know what I mean? Don't be out late. It's That is not, we encourage one another with this message uh, because the church, and remember this is written to a church, is filled with, you know, people whose sanctification levels are through the roof and others who just, you you know, you're like, what is going on? That person is a disaster. But nonetheless, Christ has called them all and uh, and so and uh, has uh, given them the promise of salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. So that becomes the encouraging word because uh, the law cannot produce that which it demands. It really needs the gospel, which gives all that is demanded. Yeah, that's right, because it ends... God has destined us not for wrath, but for obtaining salvation. That's what God has, God has chosen you to to live, to be to flourish, mm-hmm. um, and uh, um, reminds he Paul reminds his readers, Jesus died for you, um, whether you are awake or asleep, whether you have died or whether you're still alive, you will be with Christ again. Kind of carrying on some of those themes from last week, but I think. Um, the one of the things I love about this passage is where he talks about, uh, you know, uses this is very early in Paul's ministry, and so he'll come back to this again where he talks about the um, the armor of God. But this is the first place he begins to develop that idea in his writings, and he he talks about um, in verse uh, eight the breastplate of faith and love and a helmet, the hope of salvation, and all those are defensive weapons. Um, there actually is no offensive weapon. There's no sword or slingshot or anything like that. Um, it's just a breastplate of faith and a helmet of hope. So what what Paul is saying about how he sees human beings, and I think this is very preachable and very true, is that we are under attack almost constantly. Um, the accuser tells us lies. You're worthless. You're not good enough. You failed. Everything's going to be terrible. It's going to be a mess. Everybody's life is going great, and yours is the only one that's trash, and it's probably because something you did, and if only you would get your act together. and Like all that stuff. Um, uh, God's mad at you, all that. Uh, it's, it, those are the attacks that come from the enemy. But Paul says we have this breastplate to protect our heart. You know, that's, that's what a breastplate is for. It's to protect like all your, you know, your core of who you are and your thoughts, like all those evil thoughts. Like, so he's saying you have this helmet, um, on your head, the hope of salvation. So like, these are the things that protect you. So when you are feeling attacked, when you are feeling, um, just like you can't make it, Paul says, remember, you have this armor, faith and love, and that um, Christ's faith, Christ's love, and this hope of salvation, which we have, because we know, as Paul says, he, Jesus died for us. You are loved. You, you are saved. There's nothing more to be added to that. So it will happen no matter how bad things look now. You have this helmet and this breastplate. So it's, it's, a, it's a beautiful depiction of people because a lot of times we say, you know, 
you want to make life better, go out there and take it. Like grab bull by the horns. Like get your get your your offensive weapons to go out there and and make it come out the way you want. And Paul says, no, we are under this onslaught all the time. And but we ha- have these weapons to protect us defensively. So to shield us from those things. So it's a beautiful, accurate picture of what it is for. I mean, gosh, this is what I needed at 3 a.m. this morning. I woke up and my brain was spinning. I needed that breastplate of faith and love and that helmet for the hope of salvation to like regain perspective of what is actually true and you are beloved by God and he will work all things out. So, all right, so we turn to Matthew 25. Uh, a man is going on a journey. This is and, a, uh, this is a, yeah. I love this particular passage as well. And, um, uh, it is important. And remember parables. I mean, the reason why they're so often mispreached is because, well, Jesus preached them in order to confuse people. I mean, he literally did that. That's what it says. That, you know, he did that to fulfill prophecy as the prophet Isaiah says, that you may ever be hearing but never perceiving. And uh, this is another one that is uh, uh, so often misinterpreted. And um, it uh, strikes everyone at first reading as totally, totally unfair. And, um, you know, what the heck, I've gotten more, I'm not more, but I've gotten a lot of questions in my times in ministry of like, well, this just, you know, the one talent, what the heck, you know, and uh, that guy was ter- treated so terribly. So, but um, you really have to begin to unpack this. Now, this is, um, this is a parable of what life is actually like in this world. And, and it says, it's as if a man going on a journey summoned who? His slaves and entrusted what? His property to them. That's like, that's the beginning of the lens. It's not theirs. It's his. He entrusted, you know, we tend to think that the talents and the gifts and everything we have is like, you know, I mean, I know this is a big problem with me, um, is that I think oftentimes it's mine and it's not. And so, he gives each of these slaves a whole bunch of stuff. Uh, f- one talent was like, you know, five years worth of wage or something incredible like that. And so, but he gives each of them five talents, two to another, and then one. But here's the key, each according to his ability. So you see in this gift, there's a tremendous amount of grace. This uh, master, this man is giving people uh, lots of stuff according to their ability to manage it. And you see, like the first one, he goes out and he gets 10 more. Second one goes out, he invests right, and he gets two more. And the third one, what does he do? He buries everything, you know? He buries it. He dug a hole in the ground and he hid his master's money. Uh, this isn't about like, you know, hiding the gospel or anything like that. Some people would say that, but it's that's not really the point. Uh, the point that Jesus is making here is the master comes back and everybody's like, hey, look, I made you more money. Hey, look, I made even more. This is amazing. And he's like, well done, good and trustworthy servant. You know, you've been trustworthy with a few things. I'll put you in charge with many things, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But here's the key. So remember, the master has given them everything that's his according to their ability. This is an act of grace, but the the final master, the final servant goes, Master, I knew that you were a harsh man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you did not scatter seed. So I was afraid and I went and hid your talent in the ground. And you have to hear this as it is. It's not, hey man, have what's all yours. It's like, here, you have what's yours. Mm-hmm. And this is the point of the parable. Your perception about God is absolutely positively everything. 
If you uh, perceive God as an angry taskmaster, you will act accordingly. If you mm-hmm. perceive God as like the God of Aristotle, tit for tat, you do your part and then maybe I will do mine, you will bury everything because you'll be afraid ultimately that God will take something away. But if you realize like everything, and so, and this is the God that he gets, the God that you want is the God you're going to get. You wicked and lazy slave, you knew, did you, that I reap where I did not sow? You know, uh, then you should have invested my money. Um, but this is really the heart of the text, is the perception. And the fact of the matter is, is that whether you've been given one talent, whether you've been given two talents, whether you've been given five talents, uh, you have been given everything, including uh, grace and salvation from Jesus. And uh, yeah. that perception changes everything. Yeah, I think the use of talents and the way that translates into English is also confusing to people because they do tend to hear it. Your brain can't help but think it's sort of about... Um, what I'm good at in the world. And, and Juggling so, chainsaws on a unicycle. Right, exactly. Um, knife throwing, uh, all those things. Um, uh, twerking. The other thing... Mm, uh, that though, is a that, talent. Um, you're really good at it, Jake. The, um, I've only the shown things... you. <laughs> I'm sorry, was that not, was that not public? Yeah, we're not supposed to talk about um, The... The thing, yes, it, it's very similar to the parable with the bridesmaids. Again, like their sin was not that they didn't have enough oil. Their sin was that they didn't know the bridegroom and they thought that mm-hmm. the bridegroom couldn't help them. And maybe they thought that the bridegroom would never have enough oil to share with them. So they needed to go get their own. Here, the same thing where this slave thinks that his master is this tough, hardened person. And and uh, I think if you think that God is someone who will love you always and f- forgive you always, then you feel free to take risks in life. Um, if you're someone who thinks that God is just waiting to slap you down the second you s- kind of step out of line, you live life in a fear-based way, which is what this guy does. And uh, it's all about knowing who God is. And Jesus wants people to know God is this wonderful, gracious, loving God, not this taskmaster, as you say. So it's these these parables to try to get at this idea. Um, it, you get the sense that even if the, the, the last slave had invested the money and lost it all, like that would have been fine. This clearly a very rich master. Like his, because he didn't, that's the thing. The master is angry, even though he hasn't lost any money. It's so clearly it's like he gets back the same amount he gave. So it's, it's not that he's, um, uh, it's 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 not like the making money kind of thing that's a big deal it's it's what do you think of the master do you trust him uh enough mm-hmm. to go out there into the world and do stuff or are you so scared you just kind of because you're sure that he's out to get you that you just kind of hide um mm-hmm. and it's again it's an invitation into a spiritual life that is based in belovedness as opposed to a spiritual life that's based in in fear um yeah, and you know, you're Jake, you're right, like to hear it as a parable and not overly literalistic, like this worthless slave, throw him in the outer darkness, weeping and gnashing of teeth. Like that's kind of parabolic, uh, hyperbolic, first century saying like, oh, it's going to be awful for that guy. Um, don't, don't, oh, don't put more weight on those words than, than there needs to be. So, and don't gnash your teeth. It's not good. It'll grind down your molars and you'll have to get a mouth plate when you mm. sleep. Well, I think we've I think we've done it on Matthew twenty five, um, and these kind of industrial strength readings. But there is um, again one thing that you get in the Bible is honesty about the human condition, and the human condition is rough. And this these passages kind of get at that, but they also in that 
get to the grace of God. Um, because in one sense, you look at the disciples, they all are sort of like this last um, slave at the end. Like Jesus gives them so much. And at the end, they all desert him and run and flee. And they get scared and uh, they're worried. And yet he still goes to the cross and dies for them and rises again. And so, so don't never forget the one who is telling the story. And also, if you know, backing up, if I made it just real quick here, that don't forget that the 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 sort of very judgy, difficult passage in Zephaniah. Just remember that judgment. Ultimately, God experiences that judgment as Christ on the cross. He's the one that takes that judgment for us. Um, so. Um, that's, there is mercy even in that passage because it does look ahead to to um, what Jesus will do for us. That's well, really good. I know. Well, you know, I'm a highly trained professional. Uh, mm-hmm. And, um, yeah. Well, may the gospel uh, comfort you, listeners, wherever you are, whether you're a preacher or a preached at. And uh, we'll see you next week. Have a great Thanksgiving. And, uh, yeah, enjoy that cranberry sauce. <laughs> Somebody's looking, somebody cares Somebody wonders what you're doing today You know we crucified him, buried him But three days later, well, the stone got rolled away and yes, Thanks for listening to Same Old Song. Hope you found some gospel nuggets for the pulpit or for your life. If you like what you heard, leave a review or rating in Apple Podcasts. Dave Zoll will be sad if you don't. Thanks to TJ Hester for audio production, and remember to keep that Bible by your bedside, ready to rock and roll.